all of our Elam churches across the nation and beyond. And uh, we just, it's like the highlight of our year and uh, we're really excited. So I wanna encourage you to register. The, the best thing about this conference is it's free. How is that a thing? It's free. So what's the excuse? There's no excuses. This is in the school holidays too. How's that? So you need to come along. You can put your kids in and your young people. I was gonna say your young kids, your young kids, your medium kids, and your big kids can come in and your larger ones too. Uh, so make sure you come on out, all right? I'm tired. I think the jet lag's hitting me about a week late, all right? So uh, I've got a great word for you tonight. Um, I've called this, you got a problem. You know when people staunch you out and they're like, you got a problem? I feel like if we all answered that honestly, like we'd be like, well, you know what, actually, now that you're asking, I've got a few things on my mind at the moment, right? Because we all have problems. Well, we're gonna take a look at someone with a few problems and we're gonna uh, read from 1 Samuel chapter one. And there's a man named Elkanah. Verse two, it says, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah, Hannah, and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Verse four, it says, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. How many of you can see that Hannah had problems? Hannah had problems. In fact, you know what? Hannah was not the only one with problems in that family. I feel like we should just take a moment to acknowledge Elkanah, who I feel like had a couple of problems. He had two wives. I think my husband has enough trouble on his plate with just one wife, let alone two, poor guy. I mean, the story is about Hannah and I wanna speak about Hannah, but I feel like we need a moment of silence for Elkanah who had two wives. Like this guy had problems, okay? Hannah had problems. Steph, come up here, please. Hannah had problems. Hannah had problems. She had no children, which is true. Uh, she had no children, that's problem number one. And then she also had a rival. A rival, what do you call the wife, the other wife? Like, it's not sister-in-law, is it like sister-wife? I don't know what they call her. Her rival, right? Who would taunt her. It's like this, all the way, all the way to the tabernacle. Taunt her, like ribbing her, having a go, causing her to be reduced to tears. It would have been like this all the time. For Hannah, just taunting, ribbing, annoying, like the annoying brother in the back seat of the car. This is, Hannah had problems. You can go sit down, I just wanted to be annoying. She's well trained to not hit back. <laughs> See, in our very introduction of Hannah, she's defined by her lack. She's introduced to us by the very thing she doesn't have. When we're introduced to who Hannah is, we aren't told about her character. We aren't told what she's like as a person. We aren't introduced to her as um, her giftings or the kind of person she was. No, we are told 
we, we are introduced to her by the very thing she doesn't have and couldn't do. Hannah is defined by her problem. She is defined by her lack. Hannah had problems. Anybody had problems in the room? Anybody got problems? I feel like nobody is excused from problems. Nobody is exempt from problems. Whether you are rich or poor, you've got problems. Whether you are good looking or not, you have problems. Whether you are married or single, you have problems. Whether you are short or tall, short or tall, (laughs) you have problems. Whether you are qualified or unqualified, whether you're employed or unemployed, you got problems. Everybody has got problems, not one of us. If you live on planet Earth and you breathe fresh air, you have got problems. You're gonna come against problems in your life. In fact, I have to tell you that even the people who you think cause you problems have problems. And even the people whose life you look at and think, gee, their life looks pretty sweet. I like to have a bit of that life. I gotta tell you something, they've got problems. And I feel like so often we look at that, we wanna trade with people because we think we'd like to switch places thinking that their problems are less than our problems. Like all the single people in the room are like, oh, it'd be really nice to share my bed with somebody. And then all the married people in the room are like, oh, I just wish I had the bed to myself. You know, we've all got problems. It's like all the people with straight hair want curly hair. All the people who are tall wanna be short. Does that work like that? I'm not sure. Everyone's got problems. And do you know what? The thing I love about this story is that it tells us in the Bible there, in Scripture, it tells us that Elkanah, every year, takes his family up to Shiloh to to make sacrifices and to worship. And so, so many times he would do this. He would take, his whole family would go up. This is what they did. This is the habit that he was building in his family. And what I love about this is that Elkanah was building habits in his family that gave his wife, Hannah, a place to go and take her problem. See, the place that they would go to was called Shiloh, which means a place of rest, a place of peace. And so in Hannah's most taunted moments, in her turmoil, in her desperation, in her anguish and in her pain, Elkanah had established habits in his family that allowed Hannah and gave her a place to go and find rest and peace in the depth of her pain and her striving and her anxiety and her worry and her concern. I have got to tell you how important it is for you to begin to build habits in your life that will give you a place to stand and a place to go to and a place to take your problem in the depth of your anguish. You have got to know that your habits, the habits you build in your life will override your emotion in the moment. The habits that you build in your life will override any emotion or strain that a problem could put on you. See, a life that is not built on habits when faced with a problem is a life that responds out of emotion. If you don't build the habits in your life, if you don't build holy habits in your life, then when you're faced with your problem, you will respond out of your place of emotion, frustration, worry, anxiety, concern, anger, 
you will respond out of a place of emotion. But if we have spent time building day after day, week after week, month after month, holy habits in our life, we don't respond out of our emotion because our habit that we have built kicks in and overrides. What we have is a new default. We have a default that actually comes from a different place. And we don't no longer respond out of an emotional place of frustration and anxiety and worry and concern. What we respond from is out of a place of trust and peace and rest and knowing that your God is faithful because you've built a habit of prayer. You've built a habit of going to the Word. You've built a habit of turning up at church even when you didn't feel like it. You've built a habit of getting up and spending time in devotion even when what you wanted to do was pull the covers over your head. And so we no longer respond out of that place of emotion because our habit overrides that emotion and gives us a place to take our problem. Do you have a place to take your problem? Do you have a place to take your concern? Do you have a place to take your desperation and your anguish. Hannah had a place because Elkanah built a holy habit in his life. We read on that we continue the story. It says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the temple. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. She said, O Lord of heaven's armies. I love that she called him the Lord of heaven's armies. She could have chosen any of his names. He's got a lot. Like, there's a lot of things they called him. She chose to call him the Lord of heaven's armies. Why? Because I believe she knew she was appealing to the God of victories. She was appealing to the God who conquered. She was appealing to the God that she'd heard about for the God of her ancestors who she knew had fought battles and won. She was appealing to that God when she was praying. She said, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow, O Lord of heaven's armies, I wonder how many of you tonight in your problem need to begin to appeal to the Lord of heaven's armies, to the Lord of victory, to the Lord who will conquer. She says, "Upon my sorrow, look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son. She said, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Listen, there are a couple of things I wanna share with you tonight that I believe Hannah did that helped her journey through her problem. The first thing that, I, that Hannah did was she gave her problem a purpose. Hannah gave her problem a purpose. In fact, she turned her problem into her purpose. Hannah came to God, she said, Lord, I have a problem, but I don't want it to stay a problem. I, want, I don't want it to simply remain a problem. I want purpose to be born out of this problem. See, from a position of brokenness and desperation, Hannah was determined to give birth to promise. She was determined to give birth to a promise that would spend a lifetime glorifying God. How good is God that He would turn our problems into purpose, that He would take our problem and give us a purpose? When you are facing a problem, can I ask you to remember that God can take your problem and He can give you purpose in it. It serves a purpose. See, so often I feel like we spend time asking, begging, wishing that God would take away the problem. 
God, would you, would you fix it? Would you take it away? Would you take it away? Would you take it away? We spend so long praying that God would take it away that we miss what He is trying to do with us and in us through the problem. See, He, and so many times, is trying to birth something in us. He's trying to create something in us. He's trying to change something in us and shape something in us and mold something in us. I gotta ask you tonight, what is God trying to do in you? What story, what testimony, like Sam's, is God trying to build in you? What character is He trying to develop in you? What does He wanna teach you about who He is in this moment and through your problem? Hannah gave her problem purpose. She said, God, would you give me a son and I'll give him back to you? God, I have a problem, but may it have purpose. She gave her problem purpose. The second thing she did was she took her problem into the presence. She took her problem into the presence. In verse 12, it says, while she continued to pray in the Lord's presence. We love to talk about our problems, right? Like, we talk to everybody. Everybody. We talk to everyone about the problem except for the one. Like, we'll talk to our friend about the problem, and then, then we'll, talk, we'll go to the doctor and they'll say, how are you? And then we talk to the doctor about the problem and then the receptionist at the doctor's about the problem and then we talk to the chemist lady about the problem and then we go and we talk to the pastor about the problem and then, you know what, we'll mention it to the prayer person too and then we'll talk to our spouse about the problem, we talk to the cat about the problem, we talk to the mailman about the problem, we talk to everyone about the problem except for the one who can actually bring us our peace and our comfort and the, 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 the kind of rest in the problem. We talk to everyone else about the problem except for the one who can actually bring us purpose in the problem. But do you know what I notice about Hannah? And I was kind of waiting for it all along as I read in the story. She never once, once lashed back at Penina, her rival sister wife. She never once lashed out at her. I was waiting for it. I was like, ooh, come on, Hannah. She didn't do it. Do you know what else she didn't do? She didn't whinge to her husband. She didn't nag, which is a wifely duty. <laughs> Not really, don't nag. She didn't know, right? I mean, like, you go back and he has words with her, but she didn't say anything back to him. What does she do? She didn't talk to everyone else. She didn't lash out. She didn't whinge at the husband. She took her problem. She went into the presence. She took her problem. She went straight into prayer and straight into praise. I love that about Hannah. See, the thing about talking to others is that most often those we are talking to will only confirm your problem. They will only confirm your problem. They almost add fuel to the fire. It's like American Idol. And you get these people that go onto American Idol and everybody knows they can't sing. But they've entered American Idol because their mummy told them they could sing. And when they tell people they're entering, everyone's like, ooh, because everyone knows, but no one said anything. 
And it takes someone like Simon Cow. I thank Jesus for him sometimes when I'm watching those shows to tell, break them to them the news that they sound like a dying cat because no one else would step up and say anything. I kind of feel like sometimes we have friends in our world and people in our world that most people that we tell our problems to are not confident enough to tell their friend who's complaining that they have no money to stop buying shoes all the time. Instead, they sit in the shoe shop with them and say, oh, you know what, it'll make you feel better if you buy them, they look so good on you. Because we like people to confirm and justify the problem that we have. It's nice to have someone, I'm really preaching now, it's nice to have someone to rub our back and say, oh, yes, yes, it's a big problem, isn't it? Right? We talk to the enabler instead of the God who is able. And I feel like sometimes we spend too much time talking to everybody else instead of taking the problem straight into the presence. And I love that Hannah did that. Hannah took her problem into the presence. Stephen Furtick says it like this. He says, the presence of God will not fix your problem, but it will clarify your perspective. It'll clarify your perspective. Hannah sought perspective in the Lord's presence. We can seek perspective in God's presence because in God's presence, God's presence um, comes, God's presence is cultivated in moments of worship and praise. And moments of worship and praise give authority, take authority from the problem and give it back to God. And so when we're in our moment of praise and worship in the presence, we're saying, God, my problem is not the biggest thing in my world right now, but your love is and your faithfulness is and your goodness is and your ability to overcome is the biggest thing. When we praise Him, we take the authority off the problem and we give it back to God. And so in that place, we get a new perspective because not only do we see how big our God is, but we also see His purpose in it. So Hannah took her problem into the presence and this is what happened. It says, while she continued to pray in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. I love, it's just entertaining, isn't it? No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. I love her heart because most of us, if we're real honest, would take our resentment somewhere else before we took it into the presence of God. Wouldn't we? If I'm honest, I'd take my resentment somewhere else before because that would get me my backstroke and my justification and my validation, right? But she took it into the presence of God. I love it. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she said. She replied, then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Then it goes on, verse 19, the next morning, Alkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. There they go, building a holy habit. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Alkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord 
remembered her. Wait a minute. The Lord remembered her. Did God forget her? Did he, was it like out of sight, out of mind? Was it like so many kids to keep track of? Surely I'm gonna forget someone. Was it like taking a whole bunch of kids on a school trip and he's gotta be counting and continually taking the role? So he did, did, did God forget Hannah? I can remember this um, time when we were filming for a Vision Sunday. And so we had a whole bunch of people turn up at a field and we were filming and uh, we spent a couple of hours there doing a bunch of stuff and uh, we ordered a stack of pizzas because it was around dinner time so we thought we'd better feed everybody. So we ordered a whole stack of pizzas in and we finished the filming. It went really great and everyone was sitting around eating and having a great time having pizza and um, See, my oldest son Judah was there and we had recently take him, taken him off dairy because he, was, um, he has sinus issues, poor child. He's like the allergy child. I have allergies. Um, and he's got, oh, you guys should feel sorry for him when you see him because he's, he's such a good boy, he never complains. And uh, so he can't have dairies, no ice cream, no milk, no cheese, no cream, no cheese, no cheese, no cheese. And so we're all sitting having this pizza and I feel this tug on the back of my top and I turn around and there's Judah. I said, hey buddy, what's up? He's like, what am I gonna eat? I'm like, what do you mean? What are you gonna eat? He's like, well, I can't eat cheese. And it suddenly dawns on me, I've forgotten my child. (laughs) Wait, he looks up at me. He's got these big blue eyes. He's very handsome. He looks up at me with this handsome little face, big blue eyes, and he says, Mommy, did you forget me? I am the worst mother in the world. I didn't even know what I said, and I think we bought McDonald's on the way home. (laughs) Did you forget me? Is God such an epic parent failure as me? that he would forget his child, his own flesh and blood. No, no, he's not. See, there are a number of significant moments in scripture where it mentions the words, and God remembered, or and the Lord remembered. And God remembered Noah, and God remembered Rachel, and the Lord remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God remembered Sarah, and God remembered Hannah. Is God that forgetful? Is the God of the universe that forgetful? No. See, the word remember in each of these circumstances is translated as the word zakah, meaning remembrance or memorial with the root word recognize and mark, to recognize and to mark. See, in each of these circumstances, when you read them, it follows a series, a, a, a time of waiting. These words follow a time of waiting, a a season of waiting, a season of the unknown, a season of not knowing when something's gonna happen, a season of waiting for a promise or waiting for God to move. And then it is followed, the words, and God remembered, it is followed by a miraculous act benefiting 
those he has, it says he remembers. Follows a season of waiting, followed by a miraculous act of God. See, it was not that before this moment, God had forgotten. He wasn't like going about his business, saw, Sarah, uh, saw Hannah and was like, oh, shoot, sorry, forgot about you, whoops. No, it wasn't that before that moment, he had forgotten. No, 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 it was that this is the moment that he had chosen to do something, to mark it as significant, to recognize it as a significant moment. This was God at an appropriate time creating a memorial. This was not about God remembering or forgetting an individual. It was about him creating a memorial moment so that he would be glorified. What is it that you're waiting for that you feel like you've been forgotten in? Could it be that perhaps God wants to use this as a memorial moment? Could it be that He is setting you up to create a moment that is significant enough to mark and recognize that He is the King of Kings, that He is the Lord of Lords, that He is the one that is faithful, that He is the one that is good? Listen to what she calls Him. Listen to what she calls him. She says, she conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said that I requested the Lord, him from the Lord. Samuel's name means asked of God. Every time she mentions his name, she is glorifying the one who gave him to her. Every time she mentions his name, she is giving the moment significance. She is marking it as a moment where God moved, where only God could have come and do this. I love the fact that upon every mention of his name, it gives glory to God because God chose it to use that moment to mark it as a moment of significance, as a moment in time where God was glorified. The story goes on, and the team can come up now, where Hannah uh, says that Hannah waits until she weans Samuel. And commentaries differ on this. Um, there's a whole bunch of different ages, and they can't quite agree, but most of them sit this time between the ages of about two and five preschool years when Samuel would have been weaned from his mother. So we're talking about a significant amount of time that she would have bonded with him, that she would have spent time nurturing him, that she would have brought him up, and he would have been talking and walking and all of the things that a wee preschooler does. And then she takes him back to her place of desperation. She takes him back to the place of brokenness. She takes him back to that place where she took her problem in the first place. And she dedicates him back to God. Guys, she gives him back. She gives him back. In, in verse 26, it says, Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here before, before, beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy and since the Lord gave me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. See, it's one thing to have faith and believe for an answer and receive it. It's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother thing to receive what you have been believing for, 
waiting for, desperately hoping for, and then let it go and give it back to God. Pastor Luke, just a few weeks ago, said the true test of faith is not in the praying, believing, and receiving what you've been asking for. The true test of faith is can you give it back again? Can you give it back again? So you might be asking for a job, but are you willing to tithe? You might be asking for your business to succeed, but are you willing to give, do it God's way and so no, say no to the dodgy deal? You might be asking for a house, but have you spent any time building God's? You might be asking for healing, but would you well and truly dedicate your life back to Him? You might be asking for a purpose, but will you go wherever He sends you? Will you do whatever He asks you to do? See, so often we make promises in our brokenness that we forget to honour in our wholeness. See, God remembered Hannah, but then Hannah remembered God. And the question is, when God delivers on His side of the bargain, can you honour what you said you'd do? Can you honour your commitment? Can you give it all back to Him and still have faith and believe that He is good? I think that's the hardest part of the journey. But the beautiful thing is, the beautiful thing about this story is what we learn in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, where it tells us that God gave Hannah five more children after Samuel, because you can't outgive the God of armies. You can't outgive Him. I'm gonna ask each of you to stand to your feet tonight, church, and as I said at the very beginning, We've all got problems. We've all got issues. And not one of us is exempt. In fact, I listened to get it back in my head again. I listened to myself speaking this message in the car on the way home today. And Judah, my oldest son, the dairy guy, the, the allergy guy, he's listening to the thing. And when I said, we all have problems, he's like, yep, that's me. If my eight-year-old son can identify with this message as having a problem, then I think you and I, who've seen a little bit more life, can probably say, you know what? I got some problems. And what I want us to do is I actually want us to sing the third song that we sang, and uh, Who You Say I Am. And I want us to take a moment to take our problem into the presence. Because I feel like there are so many times when outside of the presence, our problem can seem so overwhelming. It can feel like it's just absolutely impossible. But right now, in a gathering of people calling on heaven, the Bible promises that where two or more are gathered, He is there. And we have got to believe that if we can come into this room with a combined faith, 
that God could not just shift a circumstance, but He could shift our perspective. And He could shift the authority from the problem back to the God who is able. So we're gonna take a moment right now. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna get the team to sing. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that problem and I want you to take it straight into the presence of God. And I want you to say, God, I need purpose and I need a new perspective on this. All across this room, eyes closed, problems raised to the God of armies. Lord, we come to You, the Lord of armies, to a God who is able, to a God who is victorious, to a God who can conquer, to a God of the miraculous, to the God of the impossible. Right now, Father God, we bring our problem and we take it into Your presence. And we ask, O oh Lord, that You would give us purpose in our problem. God, we've got a problem, but Lord, we want You to birth something new in us that would do nothing more than give You glory for the rest of our days. Father God, right now I pray over every single person standing in this room to a problem that seems overwhelming right now in the Name of Jesus. And we take authority over that problem. We transform it. We transfer it from the problem back to the God who is able. Right now in the Name of Jesus, we just pray for mountain moving faith all across this room. Lord, would you stir something inside of people? Would you give an increase of faith, an increase of expectation that says this is impossible, but I serve a God of the
It's a problem that the Bible declares as sin. And in just a moment, I just wanna pray one final prayer before we finish our time together. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is despite our efforts, we don't measure up to the perfection of God. And I tell you why that's a problem. Because God in His perfection, God in His holiness can only be where there is perfection and holiness. We can only have relationship with God if we ourselves are perfect. And the Bible's clear here. And if you're anything like me, we're far from perfect. We have a whole bunch of problems. Sin is simply when we choose our own way over God's way and it separates us from a perfect God. But God wanting nothing more than to have relationship, close, personal, intimate, meaningful, life-giving relationship with every single person. He sent His Son, Jesus, who was perfect, to die in our place. And when Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross, the price that you and I should have paid, and when He died and He rose again three days later, what He did was He defeated the penalty and the power of sin in our life. From that moment, anyone who would believe that Jesus died for our sin and that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says, would be saved, would be given a brand new start, a clean slate, Bible says that when our spirit connects with the Spirit of God, it confirms that we are a child of God. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment that I invite you to pray with me if you'd like to. So I just invite everyone just to close their eyes right where they are. The problem is that in our own strength, we are separated forever. But the beautiful solution is that God made a way. He made a way where it doesn't require you to get anything in order first. All God requires of you is your surrender. And I'm gonna pray a prayer if you're saying, that's me, count me in. I wanna get my life right with God today. Today is my day. I've been doing it in my own strength. I've been choosing my own way, but I need God to guide me. I wanna live this life for Jesus. I wanna know what it feels like to actually live out the purpose for which I was created. Then I invite you to pray this in your heart as I pray this out loud. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and this has separated me from you, but I believe that Jesus, you went to the cross for me You paid the price that I deserve to pay so that I didn't have to, so that I could be seen as innocent. And so God, I choose to turn from my old way of life. I choose to place my hand in your hand and I ask you, God, to be the Lord of my life, the one that I can trust, the one that can guide me. And I ask you to be my Saviour, the one that stood in the gap to pay the price that I could not so that I could experience the freedom I was designed for. God, from this moment, I declare that I am yours and you are mine. With every eye still closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you said, count me in. I wanna give my life back to God by surrendering your life fresh to Him today. I want you to do something nice and brave. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. The prayer has already been made. The life change has already begun. The, 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 The hand up is just so I can acknowledge you and you can put it straight back down. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it with every eye closed, I want you to be nice and brave. Lift your hand in one, two, three. Go right now. Right now, lift your hand, awesome. Over here, over here, and over here. Thank you so much. At the back on my right, is there anyone else? You're saying yes to Jesus today. You know that it's not about getting it in order. It doesn't all have to make sense, but Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. This is your moment, this is your day. Don't let it pass you by. Final moments, and I'm gonna pray one final prayer. 
praise God, praise God. God, I thank You for life change. I thank You that people have responded to You in a way today that would leave them never to be the same again, completely covered by Your grace, completely forgiven, the start of a brand new exciting journey. I pray, God, that You would continue to download fresh revelation and understanding into their life. God, You would bring the right people around them and You would journey with them in this brand new exciting life that You've given them. We thank You for that in Jesus' Name. Everyone said, Amen, amen. Can we praise God for life change tonight? He's amazing.